This is Space Cats Peace Turtles, the unofficial podcast for Fantasy Flight's Twilight Imperium. Episode 14, First Round Strategies, The Arborek. Music by Ben Prunty, featuring Matt Martins and Hunter Donaldson. Okay, Happy New Year, everyone. I've thoroughly upset my upstairs neighbor, and here we are, January second, and we're gonna we're gonna just jump right back into what we've already been doing. Nothing special, this isn't it? Is... Crazy, all the stuff that happened when the New Year happened, oh my all those goodness. crazy things that we know about oh, because we are recording this in the New Year <laughs> and not back in old 2017. Yes. We're not doing that, so it is crazy that those space it's lords amazing. came in. Yes. That now the president is a space every man. volcano erupted at the exact same time. Yeah, and you could barely even tell because it all happened at once. <laughs> so, you couldn't even hear it because they all canceled each other out. To be this a- isn't about Twilight Imperium anymore. This is a <laughs> podcast about future predictions and space stuff and the volcanoes. Well, what's so interesting is that the actual embers of Muwat proved that they were a real race and they came and took over every government with their scary war sons. I think what's crazy is that before invading our real space that they invaded the imagination of Christian T. Peterson. <laughs> <laughs> that before invading the planet Earth, they were like, we're going to cr- climb into Corey, what's his name? Corey Knixon's Corey Corey imagination <laughs> first. Before we invade that space, let's invade his mind space and have him write about us. Let's make him grow a funny beard. Yes, get him. Okay. Welcome. That was, that was three and a half minutes of goofing. That was Actually, three and a half minutes too long. Oh, it was two minutes too long. Two Whatever. Unedited. We messed up a lot, <laughs> that one, trying to get it going. Hey, hey, how are you doing? Hi. So, so to be as ceremonious as possible, we are going to do an episode that is just exactly what we were doing before the new Normal year. Episode. We're just going to jump right into our race guide for the Arborek. Mm-hmm. Arborek. The little background info, uh, Arborek was my third favorite race in TI3, mm-hmm. and I played them, and I won, and now they're my favorite. Just kidding. Well, maybe. I don't know. Maybe. It's too early to nah, say. you like the cats. I like the cats more, but we'll see. I don't know. Maybe I don't like the cats anymore. Maybe we've grown apart. I still Stop haven't played it. as the cats as of now. Well, but well, except for in the actual time, I bet I have played as the cats. Yeah, oh, I don't sound, know. That's going to make you sound crazy. <laughs> I'm a crazy person. All right. So... Um, Let's go theme, theme, go theme, with theme, theme, theme. Uh, my favorite thing about the Arborex race sheet is that it says their population is one. Only one. I'm a big fan of that. Yeah, they're the mm-hmm. hive mind. They're just a big old plant body mm-hmm. that takes over everything and thinks with one consciousness. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, I mean, it's every race that is this sort of plant-based thing, but it's also the one from Halo, and it's the, do the Zerg the have flood. one brain? The Flood. The Zerg, uh, sort of. Yeah, whatever. They sort of have one. Well, they're controlled by... They have... There are these things called cerebrates. Okay. And the cerebrates control the various Zerg broods. (laughs) (laughs) 
Thanks for yeah, listening I, to I wanna... Space Zergs. Uh, peace, humans. This has been peace your Taren. look. Peace, Taren. Peace, this Taren. has been your look at your favorite parts of StarCraft. My, my name's Day9, and uh... I'm also Day9. <laughs> um, I don't know any other StarCraft commentators oh besides Day9. He's the only one to know. Um, I would like to read something from the Arborek um, lore sheet uh, that I think is actually very interesting and relevant. Little shop, little shop of horrors. <laughs> <laughs> what? <laughs> Feed me, Seymour. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's what it says. It says that over and over. Um, if you'll pull out your, it's there. And they also start with Mage and Defense Grid. Cool. Um, We've got to get no back more on theme. Track. No more theme. No We're more done theme. with theme. We're done. That with was theme. good. It was good. Let's talk about what the uh, Arborek are working with. Uh, something we've brought up before is the Arborek race sheet is not. Uh, it doesn't explain things very well about what their ability is. So let's make sure we give a very exhaustive look at their abilities. If this is your first time playing TI and you're looking at the Arborek as a race you might want to play, here are the super important things to note. Yes. Their, so their ability is mitosis. Their space stocks cannot produce infantry. At the start of the status phase, they can place one infantry from their reinforcements on any planet you control. And let me tell you right now, before we even get any further into this, do not forget to do that because you will. <laughs> before we even go farther, first things first, make sure place one infantry on any planet you control from your reinforcements at the start of the status phase. One more time. Place one infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control at the start of the status phase. That's enough. So, Hunter, why is that ability, besides the fact that you can place one infantry from your reinforcements on any planet you control at the end of the status phase, why is that ability any good? It doesn't allow you to build infantry. Ooh, well, the thing is, uh, besides uh, the space stock's ability to produce, the Arborette can produce from their ground forces. Each ground force in the Arborek army has a production of at least one. And you can pool this production ability together with all of the little Latani warriors that are sitting on a planet. So if you have four warriors on a planet, you can produce up to four units. Mm-hmm. So you don't you you get to the point where you do not need space stocks anymore you just produce out of all of your units because they're plant people and they're they reproduce by budding yeah for real and you are budding a lot um a lot a lot of a lot of budding (laughs) um their flagship is called the duha and uh it uh hits two on a seven it can move one it has a capacity of five but it has a special ability. It also has sustained damage. But it has a special ability that is worth noting. After you activate this system, you may produce five units in this system. Another reason why you just don't care about your space docks. Mm-hmm. You just have all these crazy production abilities. You have a lot of alternative ways to produce units. That's the big theme. That's the big thing you need to know. The first thing to know. Um, let's talk about their starting units. Um, They start with one carrier, one cruiser, two fighters, four infantry, one space dock, and one PDS. Not my favorite start. What is the main thing they're lacking? Uh, Another carrier. That's right. We want two carrier, four infantry, guys. That's the checklist. That's the checklist. The 2C4I. Stop it. (laughs) Uh, And then their starting tech is, who cares? It's Mage and Defense Grid. You're almost never going to use it. I want to note this, because this is something we talked about when we played. Um, Their starting tech seems to be maybe one of the only ones where they have it just because the creators needed them to have it. They were fulfilling a checklist of they wanted 
one race to start with every of the first two techs, and Arborek got the short stick, so... It just doesn't... I feel like it doesn't fit into the lore sure, of them. but it doesn't make sense for them to start with many of the other ones, except for Sarween Tools, but if they started with Sarween Tools, boy, howdy, would that mm. be dangerous. Mm. I'm, I'm hungry. No, 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 no. Let's not get ahead of ourselves, um, though. Let's talk about their home system. Their home system is Nestfar. Nestfar. One of the worst... One of the worst. Um, it actually lost something in the jump from T3 to T4. Well, it used to have a green. It yeah, used to have a green. Yeah, but that's okay. Sure. It's it's worth, it's just a little note. So I'm just saying that note. they actually, they're, they're one Their of, home system got worse. One of the only home planets that got worse yeah. in TI4. Um, it's a 3-2. It's just one planet. Uh, it is essentially the same as a lot of home world starts, but worse. Like, literally, yeah. it's just... Like, just a little bit worse than most people's yeah. starts. But that's okay, because you're not worried about... Um, well, you are worried about that, but you're very quickly not worried about yeah. that. So, let's let's start early game. Let's yeah. go. First let's round. Uh, let's talk about map placement before you even get to the point where you're starting what your What kind round. of map slice are you hoping to be in? Well, you want some good planets, and you want them close. Um, I would... We've, t- we, we've kind of... I think in the map placement segment, we're realizing that a lot of people want the same thing. But to try and emphasize what's different about the Arborek is that they need that money, honey. Yeah. They need a lot of money because they're going to be making a lot of units. Yeah, you're not necessarily worried about a bunch of planets nearby you, although that is going to help you. But more than anything, early game, you want a lot of money because you will eventually be able to jump the gaps and start digging into other people's pie slices. And as long as you started with enough money, they're not going to be able to do much to stop you. Yeah, and I would say if if you can just get some really high-value systems near you um, and not worry about so many planets, that's less planets that you got to stack a yes. crazy number of ground forces right. on, which you are going to. We are going right. to get to it, but you're going to. Yeah. We, we've built our system, and we're ready to pick a strategy card. Hunter, what do we need? Well, so this is, I'm kind of pick, I feel like I've got a kind of a weird pick here, but I, I recommend picking Diplomacy first, and I feel like the reason I recommend it is I'm pretty confident that you're going to be able to do it, but you start with a home system of 3-2, and because of your unique ability to, um, to build out of your units, essentially you're going to want to take a high-value system, Diplomacy it to refresh it, and then use that money very very specifically and here's what you're going to do with that money your goal is to hit seven dollars you start with three if you take a really high value system you're going to easily get to that seven what do you want to spend that seven on well you want to build another carrier you ideally you're going to build it off the secondary of warfare what are you going to do with the rest of that money you're going to spend it on sarween tools yes this is a very in- specific, very important first-round strategy for the Arborek. Buying Sarween tools for the Arborek, they get so much use out of that tech, almost to the point where I feel like the fiction doesn't even make sense for whatever it is right. that Sarween tools is, <laughs> that it helps the Arborek plants just produce Explode. every single time It gets they move. the plants real horny, Yeah, and boy, do they start reproducing. And the idea is that you're going to use Sarween tools mostly to have ground forces just reproduce themselves. Yeah. Because every time you make more ground forces, you make your planets more difficult to take, and you up your production. Yeah. 
Um, and so therefore my kind of second pick would either be tech or trade trade really just for the money yeah. just for those three dollars and then tech so you you can just get sarween tools what's sad about taking tech though is that if you use it round one you're mostly using it just to get the free tech i don't feel like you're going to be able to afford that second tech right um if you take tech and then you didn't set yourself up in any other ways to like really take advantage of some other planets now the trade-off there is like oh maybe you take tech and you hope someone else took diplomacy although that's pretty unlikely unless you have an extra player um but if someone else did take diplomacy and you took tech you could use the secondary diplomacy to take any two planets of your choosing uh, i mean refresh any two planets of your choosing so that's kind of like the alternative there but again this all these things rely on f- a lot of factors and our biggest point is that diplomacy is usually not picked so you're usually going to have it available to you right um and essentially our approach here especially when talking about the early game is maybe a little more important than we've had with any other race the arborec don't have a good start this is the first time we've talked about a race where it's like you have some hurdles that you need to overcome very quickly and the first main one is getting that carrier now you have a planet with three resources and that's 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 it. it that's your carrier yeah um you, I could see some people having alternative strategies where they're like, oh, you know, grab warfare, move out, build your carrier with your one home system. Now you've spent all your money on that carrier yeah. and then use warfare to then pick up the, the pieces, yeah. move those two carriers that you now have to other planets. Potentially, that's a thing, too. The problem that, that upsets me about that plan is you've moved a bunch without producing any units now. Right. You've moved and conquered two planets, two systems, without building anything. It's actually very important for the Arborec not to take um, too fast of a start because you need to always be following up with production because you are, as an Arborec player, you are all game working on your army. Mm-hmm. More than anybody else. We talked about this uh, a couple weeks ago with the Clan Asar in that they, you know, they are working on their fleets a lot. But you're not just working on your fleets. You're working on making these ridiculously high-density planets and your fleets. And, like, your armies are just going to become a very, very big deal. And the only way you can get them to a ridiculous degree is if you start early. And you get so much out of Sarween that I feel like I would be remiss not to in- not to prioritize sarween tools as the number two priority over that second carrier because the thing is you just you get more use out of it than anyone can because you're moving and producing all across the board all the time and you need to maximize that that's one free resource that you get every time you move a ground force which is insane right and no matter what happens with the rest of the players in the game they're not going to be able to outmatch you yeah. if you have been spending that wisely this isn't like a lot of people like in arborect clan asar and that they both have this kind of mobility production thing and the difference clearly is sarween tools yes. yeah like they get the use they're getting out of it is yeah. unparalleled to it's sar the, the one way to think about it is if sarween tools is just equivalent to it's like getting a trade good um, most races will get that trade good maybe twice around. So over the course of the game, you're lucky if you get like 10 resources. Arborek have the potential to do it like five, four or five times around, which means you're getting like 25 to 30 resources over the course of the game just at your disposal. It's free on the house with Sarween tools. Yeah. So don't 
do not take that lightly. And that's why we say you might even sacrifice some a little bit of board positioning early to get that Sarween tools, because if you get Sarween tools by the next round, you're going to overcome any board position you may have lost. Mm-hmm. And then later in the game, you're going to keep overcoming it to a heavier and heavier degree. Mm-hmm. Another um, note I would like to make, uh, I actually, I don't know how I, f- how I feel about this idea, but a lot of people like to mention that um, if you do not leave a ground force on your home system, you will not be able to produce any more ground forces there. Yes. And they only start with four. Um, in the game I played recently, I didn't worry about that because I built their flagship pretty early game, yeah. and the flagship gave me that production that was necessary um, to build more ground forces on my home system when it was when it was necessary, but it is something to think about. It's yeah. definitely worth noting. Don't don't do things too lightly. In a lot of ways, think about where you're leaving ground forces and where you're going to want to be producing units, which realistically is just everywhere. But yeah, be be very careful with those early ground forces. Once you get things really moving, you kind of are just throwing things everywhere. But those first couple rounds, you need to really be aware of where each ground force is because you need to know where you're going to be able to build. Mm-hmm. And so basically in the early game, you're going to just kind of slowly, you're going to solve these problems. You're going to slowly expand to build a really solid pie slice. And here is the big note. This is something that's very different uh, from how most uh, races work. You're going to want to leave ground forces on planets. Like you're going to want to leave them behind. Right. One of your strengths is that you can produce anywhere. And that your pie slice is difficult to take because you're producing so many ground forces and moving them around so easily that nobody wants to cut into your pie slice because taking those planets is just going to be so difficult. Right. So as you expand, keep that in mind. Definitely leave ground forces on planets as you expand. Don't just have one of those pie slices where every planet has been left with no ground forces on it and you just have a mass of them. Yeah. Try and do both, really, if you yeah. can manage it. The, the other thing, too, is if we're talking about, like, what are, what are your first dollars being spent on fleet-wise, and it's really, you get that first carrier, and then it's just all ground forces. Because the sooner you get a bunch of ground forces out, it, it's, it's an exponential increase in what your production capabilities are. So it is super worth your while to just, like, first two rounds, almost primarily focus on ground forces. Because first off, if you do this early game, no one's going to try to pick you off as an easy target, because you've already established a strong foothold on these planets. And then mid-game, your production centers are off the chain to where you're going to be able to start swinging just as hard in the space battles. But basically, don't worry about space battles early. Mm-hmm. I think it's it's this is time we should uh, transition into the mid game. Let's talk about um, commodities and trading. Um, this is actually an arena where I feel like the Arborek is not so great. Yeah, I mean they have three commodities, which is kind of middle of the road. It's, it's average. Um, they don't have strong mobility, so they're probably not going to get those early neighbors like somebody like Star would get. Right, any neighbors you get, it's going to be happenstance. It's going to be oh, you both happen to move in the right in the same direction wow okay suddenly we're neighbors but you're never like not like the ghosts or somebody else where it's like no i'm i'm lashing out to try to get a neighbor Mm -hmm. to make some good early trades if you get if you get good trading that'll be circumstantial and especially it's kind of not up to you is really the problem yeah yeah um in my opinion the meta game should strongly work against the arborek Mm -hmm. if i'm in a game versus an arborek player i'm going to be a very vocal proponent of, hey, you guys should not trade with the Arborek mm-hmm. because 
all they need is money to get those production centers online, and if we can stop them in any way possible from getting some extra money, the snowball will be worse later. I'm always very aware of how bad Arborek can get late game, so the only attack you can really do is early game, and everyone should be spending all of their time preventing them from getting any extra bucks. There are, like, a a few races I would describe as bad or scary neighbors, kind of from the get-go. And every neighbor that I would describe that way is going to have a problem with the meta working against their commodities. Yeah. So if you can, which you you won't have much control over this, but if you can trade with someone across the table, that is probably going to be your best bet. Right. Your neighbors, if they're smart, are not going to want to trade with you because Arborek... Uh, kind of eat their neighbors yes. a little bit. Yeah, like, yeah. That's that's gonna be anyone else's argument if they're trying to speak out against the Arborek is like, don't trade with them because every dollar you put into them is three dollars they're gonna be able to put into you later, mm-hmm. and it's it's just not gonna help you in any way. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they fight back so hard that it's never worth giving them any early game advantages. Uh, what about what? What else do they have working with? Uh, sh- should they ever give out their promissory note? Absolutely not. Never <laughs> under any circumstance should they give out their promissory note to anyone for any reason whatsoever. I cannot yeah. believe their promissory <laughs> note. It is. Let's read it. It's so insane. Let's I just it. it freaks me out. It's called Stymie, and as an action, place this card face up in your play area. While this card is in your play area, the Arborek player cannot produce units in or adjacent to non-home systems that contain one or more of your units. If you activate a system that contains one or more of Arborek player's units, return this card to the Arborek player. This is so easy. If you have this card, it is so easy to cripple the Arborek's production centers. One destroyer just kind of like out in the middle of all the stuff they have going on completely shuts them down. And like their number one advantage is in having these amazing production centers yeah, there's no reason for you to ever give this to anybody. Yeah, I feel like in the early uh, arc of the podcast, we maybe noted this and was like, oh, that seems kind of bad. Yeah. Uh, the second I started playing a game as the Arborek, I was like, there is no way I would yeah. give this to anyone. It's too easy for anyone to put their ships wherever, honestly, mm-hmm. is the biggest thing. It's just too easy for me to throw a ship out into the middle of the wastes and and let it work its damage. If, if it costs me nothing to keep it there, like, yeah, okay, Hunter will have to deal with it and attack it, but, like, so be it. Mm-hmm. You know, all I had to do was send it over there. Um, I just, yeah, it's just not... You can just really hurt an Arborek player by just being adjacent to yeah. them, not even committing if, anything. If wormholes are in a bad position, Ooh. I mean, yeah, there's too many effects that are just gonna, are gonna hurt them too much. Yeah, I, I have a real hatred for this promissory note, and I, I do not understand why you would ever give it out. Yeah. So let's move on from trade. What about, what about tech? We talked about Sarween tools, and we, you get Sarween tools. Okay, I have Sarween tools. Do what do I do now? The th- so this is kind of tough. Uh, te- the tech path for Arborek feels like a very supplemental thing, uh, which makes it really hard to talk about in uh, the realm of like doing a strategy guide like this. The problem I think I'm running into when I'm thinking about it is I just think you should look at what problems you're running yes. into as Arborek and get tech based on that, and that might vary right. from game to game. So uh, let's talk about what some of those problems could be. So one is command counters. Uh, this was something that I noticed in my game was that, you know, any race that has to activate a lot 
frequently moving lots of different units around in different directions like the Arborek is going to run into a command counter economy problem. And also their racial tech uh, is kind of green specialty and also I would say fairly supplemental. That's the, uh, that's the best case I can make for going really heavy green, going yeah. after things like hypermetabolism. Yeah. The argument I would make basically is if everything else is going fine and you've got lots of money at your disposal, go ahead and keep investing in green, prioritize hypermetabolism and whatever else you can manage to get. But the other two paths that are potentially at your disposal are much more situational, but in a couple cases, much more important to go for. The one primarily is whether or not to go for PDS. Yeah. Um, you're not going to need PDS in every game, because the big point we keep bringing up is that your ground forces make your planets pretty unstoppable. But... We'll talk about this more in the counter section, but there are definitely races that can deal with your ground forces, and the big thing is bombardment is not your friend. So having PDSs there to stop any dreadnoughts from bombarding your planets is going to save you a lot of headache. And right. you don't have to go that far into a tree to get, you know, some decent PDS. You're going to want to get PDS on the ground anyway, so you might as well improve them. So... A little bit of red, a little bit of yellow tech is going to be helpful to you. You start with a red tech, and if you build Sarween tools first, you're ready you to go. Really should you're ready to go as far as PDS uh, goes. Again, it it is fairly situational. I mean, honestly, it doesn't even necessarily have to do with race. Like if you're just next to someone who is building a lot of dreadnoughts, regardless of their race, bombardment could start to become a yeah. problem. Get graviton laser systems, get deep space cannons, be ready to deal with that, because that's going to be the scariest thing you deal with. You basically want all of your planetary invasions to be like, you You have so many ground forces, and they're trying to bring some ground forces, and, and they just they didn't bring enough. Yeah. They, that's yeah. what you want. Uh, if, you, if you're facing off with a ton of dreadnoughts, their bombardment could actually level the playing field, right. which is what you don't want, right. for now, sure. Now, Hunter, in our game, when you played as Arborek, you ended up going down blue tech a little bit. So what's your argument for why blue tech might be the tree? You I went go? blue tech because I needed to get gravity drive, because I needed to move a carrier two in one <laughs> activation, and that is the only yeah. reason. He only used it once, but it, like he'll say... Gave him the game. I mean, it was it, <laughs> it was a huge play. It was very necessary, um, and I just I had to do it. Uh, honestly, I I I was curious about going for um, upgraded carriers, and in the end, didn't really feel like it was that necessary. Mm -hmm. You might feel differently depending argument. on the game that you're yeah. going for, um, but you don't start anywhere near it. Basically, right. uh, you're having to start from nothing yeah. but i will say this um when i got gravity drive i didn't go through anti-mass deflectors i had a blue, a blue planet. planet yeah so i basically all of this is to say like hunter said at the beginning of this all the tech is supplemental um green is where your race specifically gets the most benefits but maybe those benefits aren't all especially amazing pds is probably the easiest to start getting some stuff and in certain situations might save you the most it might be very necessary depending yeah. on who you're matching up against and blue might be just the movement you need to complete some of those objectives you otherwise wouldn't have been able to get i want to call out some tech in like specifically that I think are kind of overkill yeah. in that they sort of do what the Arborek do already and just more of it. Um, the racial tech is probably the best way to start with this. Um, I 
and contrary to what some people feel, um, including our beloved listener, Jada Pay, <laughs> I don't feel like Latani Warrior 2, the upgraded ground forces um, tech, is that necessary for Arborek. And the reason that I say this is that I was building so many ground forces and like pumping them out that I my economy actually didn't necessitate that high of a production value yeah basically i was getting along just fine with having ground forces have a production one now it's nice that you can upgrade them and they'll hit on a seven and like i actually feel like that is maybe even more of the case is just having stronger ground forces um and i could see how like if i was facing off against like soul or something i might feel like oh i need to upgrade my ground forces because he's going to also or she sorry also depending on just the circumstances of the game i mean if if you have a l1 z1x player as your neighbor and they just decide to start taking advantage of you earlier you you might actually be running into some sort of a ground force problem in which case yeah maybe you do need the the improved production value of the Latani too, um, but again, these are all just like such specific. Like, come to that bridge when you get there, right? And I, I think that is kind of what I would stick with with Latani too. Is like, it's something to maybe buy if the game is starting to swing against you. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh no, I'm actually losing ground forces. Yeah. Well, now I've just doubled their production. Any game I play against the Arborek, I'm going to be a very, very vocal antagonist of the Arborek, and if I'm ever winning that battle, that's a game where the Arborek needs to probably get Latani too, because it means they're they're getting a lot of their pie slice taken away from mm-hmm. them early. And you know what? I would probably say the exact same thing, everything we just said about Bioplasmosis. Yeah. It is, uh, it allows you to move infantry from planets you control and place them on different planets, basically. It was essentially you get to move them around in the status phase. Yeah. Um, I recommend it only if the game is starting to turn against you because I feel like the whole point of it is to move all of your ground forces to a planet that is the least beneficial to your neighbors, the planet that they're really trying to take from you. Right. But as if you expand correctly, neither of these techs are really that essential to your overall strategy. And the reason like, I feel like I should say that is because you're just you're already good at this thing. It's making yeah. you just a little bit better at something you're already good at. So why not focus your tech game on plugging holes? Yeah. On it's doing a win things. more strategy, right? And it's not necessary. And there, there's a couple others I'll call out real quick. Integrated economy is an example of one um, where you take a planet and you produce units on that planet that have a combined cost equal to the planet's resource value. You already basically you do that. Do that. <laughs> you do that. And it's three yellow deep. That's too. That's too deep. Mm-hmm. Uh, transit diodes even is like same thing. Basically as your the same tech. thing. Um, Dax of animators. That one I would say is a little bit. You could make a case for it. It is nice to get just another infantry for free after a ground combat. But yeah, nah. I'm the those three in particular. I really feel like are kind of just win more when you should really be focusing on like. You know, maybe getting a little mobility, maybe going down PDS if that's what you need. Yeah, yeah. Hypermetabolism, you know, you're right. going to run into a command counter problem. You, maybe you want to fix that. Yeah, let's talk more about command counters. Oh, What's God. It's a problem. It's absolutely a problem it's for the Arborex. absolutely a problem. So let's describe why it's a problem and what you can possibly do to well, fix it. Well, it's another race that's incentivized to uh, do a lot of activation. Um, you're not necessarily a like fleet pool ball uh, no. type. In fact, I would say most of the time, as 
as far as that goes, your priority is more on capacity, just moving around as many ground forces as possible. Um, but the fact that you do need to be moving your ground forces and activating them to build more and more and in different places all over the map, mm-hmm. you're just, yeah, it's it's going to be a problem. And if people start cutting into your pie slice and eating up your influence planets, like, it could become a real, real problem. Right. Um, I wouldn't say, you know, I think there are some races that have a worse time with command counters. We just got done talking about SAR. I think that's a great example. Yeah. Um, but, like, I would rate them as, like, a moderate to high, like, yeah. level of, like, attention on it. Right. Be paying attention. Make sure you have enough to do everything that you need to do. Yeah. Yeah, take leadership every opportunity you can. Um, start, if you're going to start striking out into other people's pie slices, just to just to be doing it, because you're kind of always growing the weed, right? You're mm-hmm. always just going more and more. Um, maybe your priority is on higher influence value planets because hopefully your pie slice you got enough money to get you going and now you need to be able to keep going at the expanse that you are at you need the leadership to get the tokens Mm -hmm. um and so yeah taking influence rich planets might be some of your priorities let's talk about if things have gone round wrong round if (laughs) things have gone round in the first wrong if things have gone wrong in the first round how do we fix that what is it? Um, honestly, I would say Arborek doesn't get a very good early game mm-hmm. in general. You, you're not going to get a lot of easy VPs. Uh, most of the races that get a lot of early game easy victory points are races that have high mobility yep. um, and a really strong starting unit thing. You have neither. Yes. Um, if you get an early VP lead, that's because you just lucked out, my friend, right. and you got some secret objectives that were easily accomplished near you, or you got some public objectives near you. Um, but what you're really looking for is to get your pie slice set up really beautifully with um, lots of ground forces with production, lots of money from the resource values of those planets, and basically an adjustable ability to build giant fleets wherever you need so that you can swing hard for those stage two objectives. Right. And that's kind of our biggest uh, point. We'll even kind of jump the gun a little bit to start talking about late game and where are you looking for your victory? Your your victory comes from scoring stage two public objectives. And a lot of those are going to require, and luckily you're really set up well to do this. uh, One of your neighbors... I, I'm sorry to tell you, but one of the people that you sit next to in your game of Twilight Imperium, you're going to eat them. Yeah. Literally <laughs> eat eat them up. Yeah. And this is like, this is, I mean, honestly, on paper, this seems like the goal of the Arborek yeah. is to consume another player's pie slice. Yeah. Um, and Slowly so you over your... the course of multiple rounds. Yeah. But yeah, by the time the first stage two public objective hits... You should seriously be in a situation where you could claim it with ease. Like, if it's spend 16 resources, that really should genuinely not be that difficult for you. You no. should have so many planets so strongly grasped that you can get that pretty easily. Or you only need to take a couple more to do it or something like that. Hunter, in his game, was in a situation where he had just enough resources. So we were like, okay, what, what to stop Hunter from winning, we need to take one planet. Because he was at 16. We just need to take one planet so he can't spend 16 resources. But the way his pie slice looked, he had so many ground forces on every single planet. And he had kind of pushed us back enough. Nobody could do it. Even just looking straight at it. Like it was like, there's not a single planet that we can easily take. It will cost us everything to take 
any possible planet. Mm-hmm. They couldn't get to the planets that I'd left empty. Yes. And all the planets that they could get to had ground forces on them. Right. And I didn't, you know, it's not, I'm not trying to paint myself as some master strategist. No. That wasn't like super difficult to do. Right. It's pretty obvious most of the time where your ground forces really need to be prioritized. Yeah. The big, The big thing is you are not lashing out at those first... Uh, stage one objectives and you're not going crazy to score secret objectives early because you are more focused on setting yourself up to score big points score the other points when you can but basically just don't go crazy far out of your way to get them because you're really planning to score high value objectives later i want to talk about their superpower before we get to counters yes um essentially what makes them a superpower is this really great term that i thought of Mm -hmm. by myself in my home (laughs) alone and told no one this term and then jada paik our our favorite is he our favorite (laughs) you keep saying it that's so mean to say but one of our (laughs) listeners and he's just as lovable as the rest of you except for (laughs) that's not true um coined this word that i swear to you jada i'm talking to just you now daniel grant um (laughs) That I came up with and was like, oh, this would be a good term for what they do. And then he also said the exact same thing. The verb, and it's a beautiful one, is root. You root into other people's pie slices. Where so much with infantry that they cannot dislodge. All of these words he used. All of these words I used. I felt the same way. I rooted Matt's home system in the game that we played where I was Arborek. And there was no getting me out of there. I mean, it was just impossible to remove me from his home system. And that was worth some VPs, my friends. Like, that is essentially what won me the game. Yeah. And Jada Pake totally gets that, too. (laughs) So our our second co-host, or our third co-host, I guess, is right now Jada Pake for his uh, input on some Arborek discussion that happened on our Board Game Geek Guild but it all, I mean, it's all things we were we were writing into our outline that are all absolutely true. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. He he really read it a very similar way to the to the way I read it. You're like you're not gonna win a lot of space battles. There's gonna be a lot of times where you lose a space. Your superpower is not that you're great at space battles. It's that. <laughs> You're going to have this kind of supplemental useful um, fleet, but just supplemental. They're going to come in. Your opponents are going to destroy your space battle, and then they just can't get into the planet that you took. Like, you rooted into your neighbor, took their planets, and guess what? There's not enough time left in the game to get it back. And guess what? Now I got the VPs. Guess what? Now it's over. Right. Except for, let's get into the counters. So... How do you there, counter this? There are some hard counters. Now, it's not that there are, aren't ways for the Arborek to deal with these hard counters, but there are some scary faces that could end up on the map. I would say one of the one of the number one... Actually, there are multiple, and the big thing to think about is this bombardment ability. Mm-hmm. So who's got big bombardment? L1Z1X. Yeah, baby. Oh my gosh, that's terrifying. The fact that they can bombard you every round of combat that's going to mess you up, especially because in most games, Lizics are going to come to the battle with like four Dreadnoughts. So that's just four shots they're firing mm-hmm. on a five every round or on a four in some cases. I want to see the matchup because I feel like the weakness is that I don't know an L1Z1 that's going to build enough ground forces to keep fighting over. You can't just bombard right. endlessly. Because you're going to be returning fire with your own ground forces. So it is kind of a, an interesting balance. 
But that bombardment is not nothing. Uh, another one, the Sardak Nor have upgraded dreadnoughts that they bombard two on a four. Right. So that's another scary, yeah. scary to much, bombardment. To much the same effect. Yeah. Which I would, I would maybe even give it a little bit more to the Sardak, even though they don't get to bombard over and over. Uh, their ground forces are some of the best, right? Because they're, they're going to be, one. they're improved as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I want to throw out Barony just because they're going to have capital ships with some bombardment. Mm-hmm. But again, with all of these races that we just talked about, the big thing to fight against that is put pds's on all the planets that matters one pds stops all of these dreadnoughts from bombarding so okay maybe the embers of muat or anyone else who upgraded or bought war suns can still fight fire through your pds's that's a war sun you've got other problems (laughs) yeah yeah um i would say that's the other reason though that sardak nor is scary to me because Mm -hmm. every game i've seen sardak nor they rush for war suns and i feel like that's a good strategy for them is to always rush for war suns i don't know how i feel about that well we'll talk about that later but in general that's another reason to worry about them let's talk about two other races that are scary let's talk about nalu's flagship first nalu as a race is not necessarily scary but the Nalu have a flagship that you should be aware of and be worried about if it hits the board. So the biggest thing to note is this is probably not an early game concern of yours. But if the Nalu flagship, which is called the Matriarch, hits the board, it can do this. During an invasion in this system, you may commit fighters to planets as if they were ground forces. After combat, return those units to the space area. And the thing with Nalu is, in most games, they're going to have lots and lots and lots of fighters because they can get advanced fighters that only apply half of a uh, capacity. They're just going to have a million fighters, and if they can then dedicate those fighters to attacking your planets, that might be 10 fighters versus your six ground forces. Right, right. That's that's a way where they could pretty easily outnumber you because of that mixed utility. Right. Um, that is just their flagship, it's one, though, to be fair. Yeah, one ship. They're not going to just totally carve through you, but one ship is going to be something you have to deal with so you need that's the one spot where you do need a fleet or you do need a good pds network that hopefully stops the fleet that that flagship is attached to mm-hmm. again there are multiple ways that you can combat this but it's something you will want to prioritize combating because right. it's the only thing that can stop you again everything with the arborec is sort of like conflict mitigation it's it's how can you cut things off before they become a problem because if you cut them off before they become a problem, nothing is a problem for mm-hmm. you. Because if you get ahead of things, you get way ahead. Yeah. And the last one to talk about, and this might come as a big surprise to people. Based well, we on... did it last episode, too. Or not the last episode, but the one sure, before. Sure, sure. But the Yin Brotherhood, <laughs> the Yin Brotherhood are a good counter. The only good ability the Yin Brotherhood has is that at the start of a ground combat, you can spend two influence to replace one of your opponent's participating infantry with in one infantry from your reinforcements. Now, they have to spend the influence, so it's still not amazing. It requires some very strange planning. Yes, but if they can do it, they can turn some of your fights in their favor. Mm-hmm. This is not a crazy, amazing hard counter. You're not going to get swept up by a Yin player, but the thing to be afraid of is Yin can plan out their attacks better than other players can against you, and they can get the better of you mm-hmm. if they do it right. Mm-hmm. Um, so you should always be aware of where the Yin's fleets are and and just what, what they're capable of doing to you. If they go ground force heavy and they bring some things over to you, you need to be prepared to deal with that. Mm-hmm. And that might be, if anything, an argument for getting bioplasmosis so that at any point you can start moving a lot of ground forces onto your important planets and uh keep the yin from 
taking them away from you. Yeah. It's still, even in that example, though, it's still rainy day situational to me. So kind of in summation, you're going to have a slow start early game, but what you're really looking for as far as victory is getting set up properly in the mid game, taking those stage two VPs and rooting, using that wonderful verb, rooting, (laughs) into an opponent's pie slice. Uh, for those really, really juicy VPs. I want to call out some random stuff that Jada Paik uh, mentioned. So Jada Paik mentioned something that is really interesting. Um, The Latani can actually produce even if they're blockaded by enemy ships. Yeah, Uh, They can't produce um, ships, ships, but this is part of what makes that rooting so uh, nefarious. If you take someone's home system, you lose the space battle, you leave the Latani, you can continue to activate the system and build more Latani. So that's something to keep in mind, that when you commit to rooting into your neighbor, that even if you lose all the space battles, that you could keep this going on indefinitely with your resources, even from a distance. You can technically speaking double at every single round. Oh, you took the planet with foreground forces, and they had trouble taking foreground forces from you. Well, guess what? Next round, you get to turn those foreground forces into eight ground forces, Mm -hmm. and then you're probably done from there, because they're never going to get past eight ground forces. There's just no way. Well, and I feel like that kind of is where we can leave the Arborek. It's a slow burn, and the other scariest thing that can happen to you is if any of those fast victory point races get the best of you or the best of other people at the board so if anything the one other thing to bring up is part of your meta game is trying to convince people to be more afraid of fast vp races than they are of you you play the slow burn to your advantage make people think oh there's no way he's got it look he's still sitting at four victory points how is he gonna win Mm -hmm. well as long as you can keep the guys and gals who go fast and get all their victory points by round five you need to stop them but then come round six you should start scoring way more points than anyone Mm -hmm. was prepared to deal with embrace that slow burn and when you swing swing hard yes yes let's jump over to we skipped errata last week for the holiday special yeah because who who wanted that i didn't want to no nobody so let's jump into the clan of sars errata from two weeks ago yeah yeah two weeks back okay All right, welcome to Space Cats Peace Turtles Errata. Not doing that thing about how we goofed up because Matt said stop to do it that. <laughs> <laughs> it just sets a bad precedent. Let's jump into the first yeah, thing yeah, people wanted do. to talk it's, about. It's, it's, it's good. It's feedback. The, you know? the Ghost of Creus, we talked about it at the beginning of the episode. This was not about the Ghost of Creus, but we started talking about our game and we had some interactions with Ghost of Creus. And we wanted to respond to one point that was made. Mm-hmm. Just to recap what we were talking about, essentially Matt was playing as the Ghost of Creus in this game, and a agenda came up that basically destroyed. What was it? Destroyed all ships in wormholes. Yeah, it would have just. Yeah, it destroyed everything. In and the every entire. Wormhole. I mean, everyone at the table was like, "Yes, knee, this is a kneecap Matt agenda," and it's very, very simple. Basically, we asked, "What was the Ghost of Creus even supposed to do in this situation?" When he's mm-hmm. looking at five other players, and it's like, "Yeah, I can just. Yeah. We can all kill you, or we can." what let you live for some reason and not the bizard from the twilight imperium subreddit kind of says i mean this is where you need to start bargaining and i have to disagree basically um league c silver also said the same thing of like start trading ceasefires or start trading you know shards of the throne and these things but 
maybe that works in some groups and maybe that's a valid thing but the more Hunter and I talk about it, if I look at the board and I say, I'll give someone a shard of the throne to not vote for this. A support for the throne. Sorry, support for the throne. Like, Hunter's not going to take that deal. I get to, without even thinking about it, shut down an entire player at the board. And depending on my relative strength in that game, it's almost always going to be worth just cutting that player off with the legs. It's just, and you know, though, it's weird that we're disagreeing with this point because it is, a, I mean, it's all you can do. Yeah, it is. In this it's situation, your only it's all you can do. Yeah. And I think... Start offering everything you have to everybody. I just think if you're in this situation, the likelihood that you're going to get out of it I think it's really low, yeah. but you the just, timing of it is a big deal. If it's late game and people want exactly that last exactly. victory point, yes, they'll take it. But if this is the first three or four rounds, you are going to have trouble finding a deal. Yeah, and I would I would say what worried me about the response isn't what he's saying about what Ghost of Korea should do. Obviously, this is what makes the most sense. It's all you can do. But I don't like that table, that table of people that yeah. would be like, hmm, let's, no, let's, I'll take a ceasefire and not kneecap a player. Like, when this came up, I, like, jumped out of my chair. I was so excited. And I'll say, in the context of the specific game, I don't remember being even given a moment. I I think I did say, does anyone want some, does anyone want my trade agreement? Does anyone want my ceasefire? And I was immediately met with, no. Yeah. We're going to shut you down. It was a cold, (laughs) it was a very cold kind of, and I guess it just depends on where you're at in the game. I mean, I guess it, that's actually the most important factor is where you're at in the game. And where we were at in that game was no way. Yeah. No way. And I think mo- there's a way, if you measured out all the possible time space out yeah. there for Ghost of Krios, a majority of it is, nah, no way. Yeah. But you gotta. You gotta try and negotiate right. your way out of it. But that's enough talking about the Ghost of Krios. Yeah. That's not what our episode was right, about. Right. Our episode was about the Clan of Sar. And numerous people brought up one really specific point, and it's one that we're willing to hear, but we honestly still have a couple disagreements with. Um, just to throw out some names, Robofish, Gamer Dad Mitch, Clay's BGG, all from uh, Board Game Geek, as well as Breeford, which is a great name, from the Twilight <laughs> Imperium subreddit, um, all talked about how space docks have their own capacity, which I think we touched on, but we didn't touch on the implications of first round and how technically you are the only race that starts with three units that can move ground forces across the map. We talk about needing this two-carrier, four ground forces, four infantry uh, start to be, like, solidly ready to do stuff, and Klanisar tops that. They have technically three carriers um, and four infantry, but the trick is they still only start with four infantry, and so that's going to slow down their ability. The, the idea that everyone wants to point out here is that, yes, you can send one carrier to one system, take a planet, Send a carrier to a second system, take those planets. Send your space dock to another system, take those planets. Warfare it, go to another system. You just took four systems round one. But we have some problems with, A, the likelihood that this is ever going to be that possible. Um, There's not that many starting setups where you have that many available planets to you. Also, depending on the ratio of those planets, whether it's single planet systems or double planet systems, you're going to run into some issues of not really having quite enough ground forces to make this work. You might have to... I mean, I, I can envision scenarios where you can make it work, right? You send your space dock first, move the ground forces, build two more ground forces, and then... 
I don't know. It actually gets tricky from there because your carrier needs to also take... Both carriers need to potentially take two ground forces themselves. Mm -hmm. That's your four. Your space dock needed to take some ground forces to invade the planets. You're going to have this weird little puzzle of where you actually send them. Anywhere where you have single planet systems is going to help you in that. But you have issues doing it. And it basically comes down to just... I think it is more than you need to worry about doing round one. Mm Mm-hmm. Mostly because, as uh, Hunter's initial reaction to this when we were talking about it before the air was, you're just spreading yourself so thin. And this is something Brieford even admitted in his comment about it, saying the number of planets are limited by the amount of ground forces they have, and it also spreads them out a lot, which is exactly our problems with the ideas behind this strategy. Sure, it's an okay thought, but... Um, I think a lot of people pointed this out as though this is like a linchpin to the Klanasar mm-hmm. strategy, and it's absolutely not. Mm-hmm. This is not what a Klanasar does every single game, round one. Yeah, I would say you got to be really, really careful with your mental math if you're going to try and do this. And I mean, I think a lot of people do. I mean, people that are... I'm not accusing the people that have brought this up of like not playing perfect to a no, T. Right. But what I'm saying is if you're going to do it, you need to be careful. Yes. Uh, if I see a space dock undefended and closer to me, yeah. I my first thought is going to be like, man, if I can get there, I can just shut these yes. guys down yeah. right now. Yeah, your, your best bet is to send your lone cruiser with that space dock. Maybe you can spend some money to build a little force with it on its first move. But even then, you're looking at like two cruisers. If I'm Mentac as your neighbor, I might just go ahead and... Let's, let's go see how that does. I'm going to pre-fire your cruisers anyways. Let's see if I can knock out the space dock. Or the, yeah, let's, it just sounds And also, if you're even doing this, you need to be, you, I mean, you need to be building some ground forces. So that's all right. That's at least a planet yet to tap. Like, I, yeah. I'm not sure how much money there is to go around. I mean, I guess you're, you're making trade goods, which is the idea, right? Right, right. But I don't know. And I think the reason we didn't talk about this, the reason this wasn't the direction we went with the episode, is I think in our heads, it just seems more important, like, especially as advice to someone playing Clan Asar, to just get your ball rolling. Yeah, like, I don't care about spreading out that much, especially as Clan Asar, because with those incoming trade goods, you're already getting off to a better start than everyone. Mm-hmm. I don't think it is worth spreading out to get a better economic start. You're going to have the economic start right. if you do everything else, and you want to make sure your SAR ball is rolling by round three. Mm-hmm. Basically, but- it comes down to, yes, if you can make it work easily, keep an eye out for that. Be aware. We should have brought it up that you you have that space dock with, with capacity round one, but do not rely on it. Mm-hmm. If you've got a really great setup pie slice, go for it but otherwise i would abstain from doing that i just feel like if i if i was if matt was playing clan and i was his neighbor and he was doing this i would it wouldn't even necessarily be like he dangled the space dock in front of me it could even just be like well the he's he's not collapsing into the ball so like i can be aggressive to him now like it just does my chance because they're only going to get worse later i just feel like if uh if Clannistar was playing like this next to me, I would treat them the way that you treat Jolnar early. Mm-hmm. I would be like, okay, let's bully, because yeah. he hasn't collapsed into yeah. it like yeah. yet. Yeah. You know? uh, one other point in this same strategy that was brought up, though, is the fact that because you have this many units that can be moved around the map, your ability to stall warfare, if you're the one who took warfare, is, a, is better. And I agree with this, but honestly, I didn't think of this point because I've never had an issue with warfare stalling. Um, if I want to stall people out on warfare, 
I have always been able to do it in an effective way. Um, so I don't know that having the extra turn is crucial. It definitely helps. It definitely makes it easier. It's less of a non-starter. You can just kind of do it if that's you know the way your pie slice is set up. But I don't think it's necessary. But you should consider it because it is going to cripple your opponents if you don't play Warfare until after all of them have done all the actions they can take. And so anything they produce in their home system isn't going anywhere. Isn't going anywhere. Sorry, that uh, Warfare note was brought up by Gamer Dad Mitch. Uh, one other thing that was brought out in round one discussions is talking about uh, Robofish mentioned that construction is actually a pretty good first turn pick for Clannisar, mainly because they're one of the few races that can find any advantage of it, and almost nobody's going to do the secondary when you play it. And this is a good point. I agree with it. Um, basically, I don't think of construction as a first pick, but if you're going third or fourth or late, mm. um, it's not a bad thing to consider getting that second space stock on the board really early um, and not have to worry about it anymore because round one is definitely the best time to play construction because n- almost nobody's going to do the secondary i like that he the, the way he points it out too he says it's a good first action literally yes. your first yeah, thing yeah. you would do in the game is plop down yeah your uh your second no one has stock. the ability to take advantage of it right. because no one's going to drop anything yeah. and the, this is that point is good to point out for anyone who has viability to take construction turn one this is something that came up in a lot of our games um over the last week we played three games the day after christmas and um i think in two of them someone took construction around one and they played construction turn one and it is that's the way you should do it yeah every single time no matter what and that doesn't just go for round one if you take construction mm-hmm play at your first turn in any round of the game unless you have a really specific plan of what you're doing right but nobody's gonna lock down their stuff because that secondary requires you to lock stuff down always play construction as your first action Mm -hmm. because you're gonna never let anybody else get space docs or pds on the board so that's if anything that's also an errata for the extra that's just an errata like that this is how the game has evolved to where we're noticing this across the board yeah yeah we this is something that should have been brought up already yeah. in the podcast play construction turn one every round you take it yeah smurf ellipse on the reddit twilight imperium brought up <laughs> loves that name uh talked about Colorog, and we basically asked like what are what are we doing with Colorog? Colorog is so vague and and we just can't really decide how we want it to be used so smurf ellipse gave us a couple options uh, and a couple people followed up with him or her and uh the idea is that Colorog is for your early game or mid-game encounters where you're trying to carve through someone's pie slice before they've gotten into it. And instead of looking like the enemy, you just very quickly offer it up just to be like... Because your biggest threat as Clannisar is the target that you are painting on your back the entire game. Mm -hmm. And the more things you can do throughout the game to mitigate that is going to help you. Um, Basically, Radiant Solar Weasel said the same thing. Matt the Fat kind of pointed out some similar points of just like... Do anything you can to stay on people's good side. And handing out Colorog isn't a bad place to start because it's just like, hey, anytime you need to come through here, this is my guarantee that you'll be able to get out. So this is what I would do. Uh, I would get Colorog and I would not use it, essentially. Right. Just I would it. just keep So he it. can't give it to anybody else. I would just keep it so that, like, I just, I feel like this whole, this idea that we're talking about, it just feels a little like I... I would never accept this deal. Yeah. I would. I if Clannisar is in the game, 
I want to destroy their ground forces yes. because I know they're not going to build that. Many so I guess this is a point that Hunter and I have to like specifically point out that we probably play meaner than a decent proportion of groups. There are definitely a lot of groups out there that still are in that kind of Cold War phase. And Hunter and I have just gotten to the point where we're so ruthless with each other where, yeah, these kinds of arguments don't tend to work for us. Mm -hmm. um, so it is something that's going to work for a lot of players. But, yeah, for us, it's kind of like, no, I want to kill your stuff. I'm going to bring enough ground forces to the table where I get to kill your stuff, and I'm going to do that. Yeah, see, I, I, and that's why I say, though, I would still take it. I would take Rock's yes. call and then not use and it. then not use it and then yeah. just keep it for like a really clutch moment. Right. Yeah. Radiant Solar Weasel even pointed out the fact that maybe you should only give it out when it's an immediate thing. That person is about to invade your system right or your planet right now. Here's my Rog's call if you want to go ahead and not worry about it. And this is that same discussion though of if I brought enough to the party already. I planned on taking those ground forces. So maybe sometimes it works, maybe sometimes it doesn't. The only way I could see it working is if it's a situation where it was going to be a close call. Exactly. And I just want the planet. Yes. And you're willing to keep that. Yeah. But honestly, I I don't know. In that situation, it's like, why not fight it out? Then You know what I mean? Like, yeah. if, if I'm barely taking it, I'm... No, I won't say that ever again, because we had a game where I had 3v1... Mm -hmm. ground forces and i lost so yeah. i'm not taking close ground force fights ever again yeah that's true so if well, this... you were jolnar right that i was, was jolnar a... versus extra yeah i mean they didn't have they, the ground forces weren't any better right your ground forces were worse sure but still yeah. I, I i'm more afraid of close calls nowadays mm -hmm. um su submitting an entire action to try to take a planet and then not getting that planet oh, that was disgusting pretty devastating yeah. find so, that on the stream guys find that moment yeah, right. on the stream because it's disgusting um so but basically that is definitely the benefit of rog's call but it really just still puts it in this book of like I don't know if I think that's a particularly useful promissory note. It's situationally useful. I guarantee you, if uh, when I play SAR, uh, I am not going to use it the first way that we talked about. I will only use it within the context of immediate bargaining my way yes. out of a bad yeah. situation. I'll never but give it to I someone ahead think, of time. I don't want I someone don't to take advantage of me. I don't think you should give it out ahead of time because, in my opinion, I'm like, ooh, yeah, let me get that. Not yes. going to use it in your exactly. favor. I'm going to only use it when it just works for me. Exactly. And our last point to talk about, uh, and really this is just a reiteration of some stuff we talked about, is from Matt the Fat uh, on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. And it's, it's just a reiteration of the same kind of points we were making, but it's something really good to drive home, which is that the Clan Asar is, this quote summarizes it, it's not a matter of if everyone hunts you down, but when. There is a clock on Clan Asar's game where by a certain round, everyone else will have built up their fleet so much that you no longer are a threat. Just straight up and down, you will not be relevant to their things anymore, and they will be able to deal with you. Um, your, your game is a tightrope. And um, to that end, this is what informs all of these other decisions. This talk of Hall of Rog, this talk of do you take advantage of them early if they spread thin with space docks. The whole thing is... If everyone at the table knows what to expect from Clan Asar, they know Clan Asar are going for an early win because they know Clan Asar can't fight it out late. So anything you can do to mitigate their advantages early, that's going to be good for you in the long run. So that's kind of our big point of like why people shouldn't really give Clan Asar any room to do anything because, because Clan Asar are the ones that are playing risky. They're already having to do all these crazy things. They're going to take big victory point swings. Why would you give them an inch ever? Mm -hmm. You just shouldn't. 
and that's what you're playing against as Clannisar. That's why you're the nomads. I mean, it fits in with the theme perfectly. You are the hated people amongst the universe. Nobody cares about you. Mm-hmm. No one wants to take your deals because you're too easy to thwart. So, I mean, for me, it's like the most fun way to play Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I mean, when like... you're literally playing against the entire board and just scraping by for victory points, and maybe sometimes you eke out the coolest win of your entire TI experience, I mean, it's all worth it for mm-hmm. that to me. Mm-hmm. I do want to point out one other thing, though. Um, I saw another stream um, over the weekend of someone else playing, and it put more evidence for me behind Clannisar playing a little bit more of a pie slice approach. It's not ideal for them, but it is certainly possible to play with multiple fleets and not focus on the Sarball. I don't think it's maybe as good, but you can play Clan of Sar in a less risky way and treat the just gaining trade goods as a pretty good ability in its own right mm-hmm. and play for the late game. Like, you can play where it's just like, no, actually, I'm just going to protect my fleets and play a pretty normal game and gain more money when I take planets from other people and have that be about it. And also have a contingency for throwing my stuff in asteroid fields. But beyond that, I'm just going to try to build bigger fleets than everybody else. Yeah, I mean, I think keep an eye on your neighbor if you're Basically. playing that way, though. Because, like, they just don't have the same, like, completely destructive, yeah. like, racial abilities right. that some other races have. Yeah. Like, I'm thinking, like, if, I don't know, like, your neighbor is Barony or mm-hmm. Extra or mm-hmm. um, somebody that can get past the same damage. Like, basically any... Any of the races that have like really heavy hitting yeah. late game abilities, yeah. they're you you don't really what do you have against that? Right. You know? Right. Yeah, it's scary. It's scary to play as the Clan of Sar. Mm-hmm. It's it's an invigorating way to play Twilight Imperium mm-hmm. for it's sure. By the seat of your pants. Yeah. Yeah. So we're gonna call it off there. Um let's do the regular rundown. You should follow us on Facebook, Space Cats Peace Turtles, give us a Follow on Twitter at SpaceCatsPod. We post every week on the Twilight Imperium subreddit. We also have a Board Game Geek Guild. It's kind of hard to search for because of the way Board Game Geek is organized. I don't have a great solution to that yet besides just ask for the link to it, I guess, and we'll send it to you. Um, Also, uh, send us bad board game ideas this is yeah, for a continuing ongoing project hunter and i want to do uh if you're tweeting it at us send us the hashtag mrbr you can also just message it to us on reddit or on board game geek or on facebook um but we want lots of bad board game suggestions again to specify that idea it's vague or poorly conceptualized board game ideas that wouldn't even necessarily make a great board game but it's like the the nugget of an idea. It's a little mm-hmm. piece of an idea mm-hmm. that you think would be entertaining to hear expounded upon. Right. And even if you just have the name, in fact, especially if you yeah. just have the if name. Yeah, if you just have a funny name for a board game, just send us that. Yeah. That's all we're looking for. We, do, we don't... Actually, the more fleshed out your idea is, the less likely we are to use it. Right. So, um... Just to keep teasing that project, please send us those, and we will see you guys next week. Tweet Steve. Thank you for listening to Space Cats Peace Turtles. And thanks to Ben Prunty for the use of his music. You can find more at benpruntymusic.com and benprunty.bandcamp.com. Pax Magnifica. 
Bellum Gloriosum.